Today is the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of joy. Our joy is in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Like peace, joy is a gift from God. It overtakes us and fills us when we remember what God has done and what He has promised to do. We light this candle today to remind us that Christ came and is coming so that all people might have a rich and abundant life. We thank God for the hope he gives us, for the peace he bestows, and for the joy he pours into our hearts. Let us pray. O God of joy, Emmanuel, send your light into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the time of Christ's appearing. Fix our hearts and our minds upon those things you have done and those you have promised to do, that we may have the joy you have promised. As we worship you, strengthen us so that we may always do your will and so bless you and the world that you have made. Amen.
Amen. Take a moment and share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. There's an insert in your bulletin that uh, lists some upcoming activities, and notice on one side it has the list of services for the next month and a half or so, and next Sunday we begin four weeks of one service at 10 o'clock, so just please make, take, make note of that. Uh, one service, 10 o'clock, beginning next Sunday. You also see uh, Christmas Eve service times and Sundays that follow. Uh, tonight at 5 o'clock, we are hosting a, uh, a time of singing the Messiah. And uh, we'll have the opportunity as a congregation to join in that, to be a part of, of singing this, uh, this glorious piece of music, and the choir will help us with that as well. So we hope that you'll uh, be a part, make us a part of your, uh, your day as you come here at 5 o'clock this evening. You'll notice an announcement about going to the Absolute to uh, do caroling today, and they called this morning, and they have a lot of sickness up there, so we are not going to do that. So that... So if you were thinking of going up to the Absolute today with the group, uh, that's been canceled because of the uh, illness. And we certainly want to pray for the folks up there uh, who are going through that. There are a number of other uh, things in the bulletin, that uh, upcoming activities and events. And I encourage you to read through those and participate as much as possible. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, despite your generous love to us, we have too often turned from your way to our own. We have tarnished the gift you freely gave. We have buried you so deeply in our hearts the world doesn't see you. We have ignored your teachings. We have lived lives of apathy. We have built fences and fortresses to push people away. We so often ignore those in need. Forgive us, we pray. Free us from our sin. Free us from our captivity. Free us to live in the joy of your incarnate Son, in whom forgiveness is real, possible, and ours. Amen. As the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, please stand for the Gloria Patri. Jesus, shepherds and wise men of old came to worship you, 
and brought offerings of adoration and of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Your coming has filled our hearts with joy and our lives with meaning, and we now bring to you our gifts. Touch them with the wonder of your blessing, that they may honor you wherever your gospel is proclaimed. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our Old Testament scripture reading is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 7. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, 
and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. This is the word of the Lord.
to offer our prayers to God, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. That his coming changes everything. We thank you that in your Son, we have forgiveness and freedom and life. And we rejoice once again today and all that the coming of Christ means. Father, as we gather today, we believe that the coming of Christ reveals to us your compassion and your care for us. And we need your compassion, we need your care, we need your help, because we are fragile people. Some of us come today with hearts full of grief. For some, the grief is is very near. For others, it is grief that with which we've been wrestling for a while. For some, it is the grief that comes at this holiday time when we especially focus on family and friends and loved ones and We face the stark reality of someone we love no longer with us. We pray for your healing grace. We pray for your mercy upon all who are struggling with issues of health today. We pray especially for Priscilla Waltz and for Vesta Mullen, for Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, for Bill Roski and Bev Rett. For Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Alton Shea, for Isla Shea, Dick Gould, for Edna Howard, and for Crystal Blake, and Emily Cricklar, and for others who are on our minds today. We pray for your healing in each of them. Father, we think of the world that is beyond us. The world beyond us that's not so far away and the world beyond us that is far from us. We thank you for the many years of of ministry through Royal Family Kids Camp and for the campers and counselors and staff whose lives have been changed through this week of intensive love. We pray as preparations are made for this coming camp in the summer that you would would invigorate the thinking and the creativity of those in leadership. We think especially of the, the campers who have this awesome week and then go back to some difficult circumstances. And we pray that even today, 
they might be reminded of your love and the love of people at the camp. And it might help them immensely to be open to you. Father, we think of the world far beyond us and we continue to pray about the Ebola virus and ask for healing, for an end to this, that you would bring hope in the midst of despair and grace in the midst of grief and pain. And we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters and we think especially of the church in Sudan. Churches demolished, Christian literature confiscated, Christian workers deported. We see the hand of the evil one at work, but you are greater. We believe you are working when we see it and when we don't. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who face great opposition and persecution. Give them courage and strength. Help them to know our love and support. And may they see glimpses of your spirit working miraculously in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what, she, what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. This is Grayson. And uh, how old are you? This is trains. Yeah, you have trains. How old are you? Yep. Yep. I don't think that's an age. <laughs> do you like trains? Yeah. Do you have lots of trains? Yeah. I do want two. You brought two? Yeah. Do you have what? You told me before you have ten trains at home? Yes. You love I trains. two trains. Yeah, you brought two trains with you and they have magnets on them, don't they? Yeah. Do you go to school? Yeah. Where do you go to school? I go to preschool. Do you go to preschool? Do you go here to preschool? Yeah. Yeah. You spend a lot of time here, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we like having you here. Yeah. Yeah. What if I told you that this little boy is the son of God. Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) Y'all going, ah. His big sister is going, ah. (laughs) This is the remarkable thing about the incarnation. Is that little children like Grayson... Little children we see running around, little babies, the little children who were lighting the Advent wreath, and the kids we see here in Sunday school, and children's church, and Wednesday nights. God was one of those little children. I I think that's hard for us to grasp, because they're just little children. Thank you. He's been great. Three times today. He's still with me. (laughs) See, the thing about the incarnation is that it reveals the otherness of God. We think of the otherness of God, we tend to think of God as big. And he certainly is. When we think of God being other than, we think of him being sovereign and almighty and the creator of all. and, And he certainly is all of that. But... What's so fascinating is that when God reveals himself most clearly, it's not revealing how big he is, but how small he's willing to become. An egg, an embryo, a little baby that is born into the world just like you and I are born into the world. It's mind-boggling. There is something about the incarnation that reveals this otherness of God and and parts of the nature of God that I think we, we miss. For one thing, it tells us that God is humble. And, and that, that almost sounds irreverent to say that God is humble. He calls us to be humble, but not him. And yet everything about this event reveals his humility. Where Jesus is born, to whom Jesus is born, where he lives, what he does in his life. All of this, it, it, 
it screams humility. Philip Yancey says that up until the scriptures, in most cultures, in most writings, the word humble is a negative word. It's not a word to admire. It's a word to shun. And God changes that. And it's not even just how, it's not even just the birth of Christ and his circumstances. You think about the the events leading up to it and the angel appearing to Mary. God could have commanded Mary to do this and forced her to do it. But you get the sense that the angel comes to ask her if she would like to be a part of this. Here's God's plan. Here's what God wants to do. What do you think, Mary? Now, you understand it's going to mean great joy and deep sorrow. It's going to mean people are going to misinterpret you and they're going to misunderstand you and they're going to have all kinds of thoughts about you because even if you tell them the truth, who's going to believe you? So Mary, what do you think? Give it a shot. There is this humility even in approaching Mary and you see it in Joseph too. This angel appears to Joseph in a dream. He doesn't strong arm Joseph. Here's Joseph caught between a rock and a hard place, trying to figure out what to do with Mary. And the angel comes and explains to Joseph what's happened. And it continually amazes me that he says, okay. But despite the fact that God says, this is what I really want you to do, Joseph, he has the freedom to say no. Because he too is going to live with all kinds of whispers. All kinds of things are going to happen. People are going to say things. His life is going to be difficult. It's going to be exciting, but it's going to be difficult. And God comes in humility to him. J.B. Phillips says, if we were to make this up, if this were our idea how to be the, do the incarnation, we would do one of two things. We would either create, have this being come that was superhuman and only appeared to be human, but really was God and just sort of pretending to be human. Kind of like Superman. You know, Superman's not really a human being. Superman is from Krypton. He pretends to be a human being. He takes off his glasses and no one recognizes him anymore, right? (laughs) What is that about? That is just nuts. But I know none of you know who I am now. You're like, who is that up there? Oh, okay, now I got it. All right, good, good. But I digress, sorry. Um, But then we'd have this being who would look like a human being, but would just have all this power and not really be human. Or we would create a real human being, but he'd be so holy, so super, super spiritual in the sense that we, you know, envision that, that we have no connection with them at all. It'd be the kind of person who sits on the top of a, of a hill, you know, the image of the guru on top of the hill that you climb up and go to for advice, but really has no connection to real people. And yet here is God coming to us in a real human being, a baby. And he goes through all the things that we go through, all the ups and the downs, the good and bad of being human. 
He experiences all of it. The writer of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who, who understands what we go through. And that sort of changes a little bit of how we address, how we approach God about some of our struggles because we want to say to God, well, I, you know, I know I'm really wrestling with, with manipulating people, but Lord, you just don't understand how it is. Yes, I do. Lord, you know, I'm really wrestling with materialism and greed, but you don't, you don't really understand what that means. Yeah, I do. Lord, you know, I, I really want to get back at this person who hurt me. I need to. And you just don't get it, what it's like to be hurt like that. Yeah, I do. He understands. He goes through all the things we go through. I imagine there were many times in the carpenter shop and he smashed his finger with the hammer. And it hurt. Real pain, you know, not just fake pain. It really hurt. You know, someone was talking about how, you know, Jesus as a, as a child, you know, he had to learn his letters and his numbers. He had to, he had to learn uh, science. He had, he had to learn history. He, he played with his friends. Maybe there was a little girl down the street that had a crush on him. Vice versa. He was human. Lewis says that, he said, he cannot imagine that, that there were, weren't times when, when Jesus had questions that he didn't know the answers to. He said, in fact, if he didn't have that, then he wasn't really human. And he says that when Jesus asks as an adult, who touched me, it's because he really wants to know. He is human. All of the fragility of being human, all of of the stuff that we have to wrestle with, Jesus wrestled with it. But Jesus wasn't just, it's not just that he was human, it's that he, he identifies with us in a way that we would typically probably avoid. You know, there is a sense in which, which Jesus comes for the underdogs of the world. Now, as Americans, we have a tendency to, to root for underdogs. You know, we love the stories of people who are born into poverty and, and somehow pick themselves up by their bootstraps and make a great success of their lives as we judge that. And, and we cheer that and we root for that. And we talk about underdogs a lot in sports. And underdogs are are teams or people who have virtually no chance of winning. Right now in college basketball, the University of Kentucky has by far the best basketball team in the country. They have the most talent. And I don't think there's anyone who would, who's thinking they're going to lose a game this year. Every team that plays them is going to be an underdog. And if any team beats them, we will call it either a fluke or a miracle. Because that's way it is with underdogs. And here is God, who is the creator of all, the ruler of all, the sovereign of all. Everyone, every opposition to him, every opponent is an underdog. He wins every time. Except that he chooses to be the underdog. 
He chooses to limit himself. He chooses to come in human flesh. He chooses to live like you and me. Paul says that he humbles himself and takes on the nature of a servant, becoming human. He's for us. And it's not just that Jesus takes on the role of an underdog. His whole mission in life is the underdogs of the world. Luke 4 is sort of Jesus' mission statement where he talks about that he's in the synagogue and he pulls out Isaiah 61 that we just read. And he reads a version of that where he talks about being for the poor and the heartbroken and the down and downhearted. And he talks about freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of this is about the people of the world that everyone else ignores and pushes to the margins, the vulnerable, the weak, the powerless. Jesus says, I'm about them because everybody else ignores them. Everyone else says they're insignificant, they're unimportant, but not me. What we see is what I... I think it's Philip Yancey that talks about the incarnation and this idea of God being the underdog and coming for the underdogs. We have this sense of it makes God approachable. You know, we think about how we want motivating people. More often than not, we tend to motivate by fear. We do that because it works, right? If you're afraid of being caught... We obey the law. We don't drive 85 in a 60 speed limit. Because we're never sure who's going to be waiting in the median when we come around the next turn. We, we obey our parents and people in authority because we don't want to get in trouble. We, we fear failure, so we study for tests and we turn in our papers. At least that's the theory, right? And because we're afraid to fail. Fear motivates, and we use it all the time, and and it's a part of our culture. But fear creates distance. And God's about being approachable. There's no doubt in the scriptures, God talks about his greatness, and he talks about being in awe of him, and he gives warnings. But when God reveals himself most clearly through his son, it's not through fear. But it's creating an atmosphere of approachability. I was pondering that idea this week. And I I thought back to when I was in junior high. 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And I don't know how to describe my science teacher. Other than to say the man was crazy. Uh, I mean I have a lot more sympathy for him now. uh, Teaching junior high students. But I mean he was crazy, out of control. He'd yell at us. He'd throw things at us. He'd kick kids out of class. I remember one day he slammed a kid up against a locker and, you know, held him there as he yelled in his face. Probably things you couldn't get away with today, but you could. Earlier I said 30 years ago. I'm thinking, no, I guess it's been more than that, hasn't it? Um, But let's not talk about that. But, you know, he was nuts. And he intimidated us. And the whole aura of his classroom was fear. But across the hall was my social studies teacher. 
And he had a different perspective of how he ran his class. You know, he, he was firm with us, but it was all about trying to, to not intimidate us, but to help us open up to learn. And so he would do all kinds of engaging activities. You know, we did historical reenactments, and we played Jeopardy, and we did political debates, and we made recordings, even video recordings in a day where that was not a common thing to do. And he loved for us to ask him questions. He, he wanted to become connected to us, and we'd talk about things that we like to talk about. I remember many days, especially in September, as the... Uh, Baseball pennant race was drawing to a close, and he loved baseball. We'd spend 10, 15 minutes talking about baseball because it was something he knew we were, many of us were interested in. It's really not a wonder that I hated science and I loved social studies. And I suspect there were some interesting conversations in the faculty lounge, you know, as a, saying to him, Schmidt, you're being way too easy on these kids. You're, being, you're way too approachable. You're, you're letting them get away with way too much. And he said, I know it's a risk, but it's worth it. And I suspect there are times where, I don't know, maybe the angelic beings look at God and say, wow, you're, you're being way too friendly with these human beings. You know what they've done. You know what they can do, Right? And God says, I know it's a risk, but one of the things the incarnation teaches us is it reminds us that God is the cosmic risk taker. Everything about God, God does is, is rooted in his willingness, his passion to take risk. He creates what a risk that is. He identifies himself with fragile, fallible people like Abraham and Noah and the Israelites. And he says to them, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you, the, you slaves, I'm going to make you my people, and I'm going to let the rest of the world understand me through you. And now he says that about the church. Talk about taking a risk. But that's who God is. God is the ultimate cosmic risk taker. I think one of the reasons we may struggle with incarnation, really wrapping our minds around it, is because something in the back of our minds may prefer distance than closeness with God. I mean, we love to talk about the fact that God is humble and he's approachable and, and, and he is for the underdog of the world. But if God is that close to us, then there's no place we can go to avoid him. And we kind of have to be on our best behavior all the time. If God is distant, then we really only have to think about God when we come to places like this, or when we read our Bible or say a few prayers, and then we can do whatever we want, because God's out there and we're here, and, and we some. Sometimes that distance is kind of nice. But God loves us too much to allow that, us to live with that distance. But it's hard for us to grasp that. I love the Christmas carol, Away in a Manger. It's one of my favorites. But when we sing the second verse, the cattle are lowing, the 
Baby awakes, but poor little, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? If that's true, that's not a baby in that manger. That's a doll. Because babies cry. Babies cry about lots of things. In fact, there are times where you can't figure out why the baby is crying. And you do everything in your power to try to figure it out, and you can't. That's what babies do. But I think we, we write those kinds of things because, quite frankly... God in flesh is, is pretty hard to grasp. It's, it's like a lot of the paintings you see, I think, typically come out of the Renaissance era where painting, pictures of Jesus and pictures even of Mary, where they have that little glow aura on their heads that sets them apart as holy. It's hard for us to truly envision Jesus like us. But the whole root of the incarnation, the whole root of our faith is that he is. He is like us. You know, earlier this week, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge came to uh, New York City. And they did what royals do when you make these kinds of visits. You know, they, they went to the places of the people of power and wealth and fame. You know, spent time with the president and the White House, or probably in New York. He came to New York to see them, which is something. They, they visited. They, um, you know, the vice president, he spent time with the Clintons. He went to the World Bank. They went to the World Bank and they went to a professional basketball game and rubbed shoulders with Beyonce and Jay-Z and, you know, all these famous people. And people, crowds stood outside their apartment building, the hotel where they stayed. And when, every time they entered and exited, they cheered and swooned. And every time they get in and out of a car, they cheered and swooned. And even when Kate went to uh, a preschool in Harlem, it was a huge event. I was wondering, what would happen? What do you think people's response would be if they borrowed someone's car and they put on some jeans and sweatshirts and they went to the local Walmart and they went in, got a cart, and just started making their way around the store? They throw a box, you know, grab some sinus medicine, a little yogurt, a couple of boxes of Lucky Charms. They went to the deli, get, you know, a pound and a half of salami, half a cup of potato salad. And they go and they wait in the line for the next checker to process their order. And, you know, then I'm wondering, so would the guy at the door ask to see their receipt when they came out like he does a lot of other people? I think we'd go, what's going on here? We like the fact that maybe they would be hang out with common people. But the whole point of why we want to see them is that they're famous. They're royalty. Who's going to stand outside a hotel and cheer us when we walk out and take pictures? Who cares? The whole point is, we know what to do with people who act like royalty. We don't know what to do with people who are royalty and act like commoners. It jars us. And yet here is God, the ultimate royalty... In human flesh. Vulnerable. Humble. 
fully human. And the reason God does all of this is because we're sinners. The angel tells Matthew, when this child is born, you name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why. That's why God comes in human flesh. Because we are sinners who need redeeming. We're lost. We're broken. We're on our way to eternal death. And God loves us. And he loves us so much, he is willing to be born into this world, to take on human flesh so that we might know the depths of his love for us and so that we might have a savior who can redeem us. He doesn't come because we're so awesome. He comes because we're so needy. And that's the heart of the incarnation. Today's question, was Jesus just like every other baby? Yes and no. No, he is God. But yes, he is just like you And me, as incomprehensible as that is for us, he's human, real, just like we are. I love the way Mark Lowry describes Mary's attempt to wrestle with this. Her attempt to understand this little child that she has given birth to, she's holding. And yeah, he has asked this question over and over again. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered would soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy 
would give sight to a blind man. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leave, the mute will speak, the praises of the your baby boy is Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day heal the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This child that you are holding the great I for us to take just a moment of silence to ponder God in flesh. What that means for you and for me.
We stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.